الله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنتي إلى يوم الدين All praise is due to Allah May Allah's peace and blessings be on his last prophet Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And on all those who follow the path of righteousness Until the last day I will leave questions concerning the jinn To the discussion After a brief presentation which I'd like to give And this presentation concerns or could be looked at as some reflections on the greatest surah of the Qur'an. The Prophet Muhammad had said on one occasion to one of his companions who was in the masjid along with him, that would he like him to teach him the greatest surah of the Qur'an? And the companion said yes. And the Prophet left him and then as he was about to leave the masjid the companion caught a hold of him again and asked him you know, to teach him as he had promised, the greatest surah of the Qur'an. And he told him that the greatest surah of the Qur'an was the seven oft-repeated verses, what we know as surah al-Fatiha. This is the surah which we repeat Seventeen times a day If we are practicing Muslims We repeat it at least seventeen times a day That is in our five compulsory prayers And I would like us to reflect somewhat on the meanings of this surah because it is a surah which is so dear to us it is one which we are repeating 17 times a day more than any other chapter of the Quran the Prophet said it was the greatest chapter why? because the essence of the meanings of the Quran are contained in this chapter and because of that this chapter is also known as Ummul Kitab the essence of the book it is Al-Fatiha which means the opener because it is the opening chapter of the book before we recite Al-Fatiha we are obliged to recite the phrase A'udhu Billahi Minash Rajim I seek refuge in Allah from Satan the rejected Why 
because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to seek refuge in him from Satan. In chapter 16, Surah Nahal, verse 89. This is a commandment. Whenever we are going to read the Quran, we should seek refuge in Allah from Satan. Why? Because Allah has said, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ألف لامين ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه This is the book in which there is no doubt هدى للمتقين Guidance for those who fear Allah The Quran is the greatest book of guidance on this earth It is the purest book of guidance. As such, the evil forces led by Satan will strive their hardest to keep us from benefiting from this guidance. They will try to distract us they will try to discourage us from keeping this book of guidance in practical use in our lives on a daily basis. We are encouraged to read the Quran as much as possible. The Prophet Muhammad in order to encourage, said that one who reads one letter of the book gets ten hasana, ten good deeds recorded for him. And he said when he meant, when he said one word or one letter, he did not mean that alif lam mim was a letter, but that alif was a letter. Lam was a letter and Meem was a letter. This was said in order to encourage the companions and later generations of Muslims to read the Quran as much as possible. Why? The Prophet said this to his companions. Who spoke and understood Arabic. So they were encouraged to read the Quran as much as possible so that they would be in touch with God's message to man. The guidance. They would be in touch with that guidance by reading the Quran on a regular basis. They would read it and absorb its meanings and put it into practice. As the companion said, we used to learn the Quran five verses at a time. No more than five verses at a time. And we wouldn't go to another five verses until we had understood all of what Allah had commanded us in these verses and then try to put them into practice. 
So this was the encouragement which the Prophet gave. That we should read the Quran often. Alhamdulillah, you have your circle where each of you all are reading the Quran and this is good. To read the Quran in the circle here, in the mornings when you get up, you know, in your homes, make it a part of the regular uh, life of your home that you are reading the Quran. But reading the Quran and reflecting on its meaning. This is what is intended here. To read the Quran and reflect on its meaning. Not merely to parrot the Arabic sounds, but to read the Quran and reflect on its meaning. So that you may apply the Word of God and be blessed. Because if you read in the Quran where Allah says don't do this and you're doing it then you're cursing yourself so it is important that you know what it is Allah is telling you you must read it understand it and apply it Allah speaks about those people who don't apply what, they, what information they have and he is wonder. So we seek refuge in Allah. We seek refuge in Allah from Satan when we pick up the Quran to recite it. Or when we stand to recite Quran in Salah. To protect us from the evil forces which would seek to divert us. And I'm not talking about this on a metaphysical level a philosophical level I'm talking about this on a very practical level I'm sure you've all experienced picking up the Quran in your homes with the intention of reading the Quran and after you open the Quran and you read a few verses you find yourself starting to yawn you know you read a little more you find yourself yawning again And you start to think, man, I'm tired. You know, maybe I should read this later. You know, feeling a bit sleepy. Or you get up to stand to pray. And when you start to pray, you find yourself yawning. Where does yawning come from? You weren't tired before you started reading. You weren't tired before you stood up to pray. The yawning is from Satan. And this is not just something coming out of my head. Prophet Muhammad said that yawning is from Satan. So when you yawn, cover your mouth and say, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim So this is very real. Something you should understand that the efforts of Satan to t- try to disturb us, to distract us from the guidance. It's something which is very practical, very real, and not something merely philosophical. So when we say, A'udhu Billahi Rajim, we should say it, knowing what we're saying, believing what we're saying. Not just say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaytan What's this? A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaytan Rajim. Say it 
feel it, believe it, and then it will be of benefit. After that, we begin the surah Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman, whose mercy encompasses all things. Whether man deserves his mercy or he doesn't, Allah is merciful to him. That's Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahim, who has saved 99 parts of his mercy for the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. As the Prophet said, when Allah created mercy, He divided it up into 100 parts. One part He sent down on the earth, which is so great, it is what causes an animal to lift its foot from its young, so it doesn't put the foot down and kill its own young. And the other 99 parts are saved for the believers on Yom Qiyam. That is Ar-Rahim. Then Allah goes in to teach us how to pray. How do we call on Allah? How do we turn to Him in our prayer? Do we stick our hands up and say, God, I need a new car. I need a new wife. No. Allah tells us that we start by thanking and praising God. Alhamdulillah. We have to thank God. Thank Him for what He has given us. We have to remember to thank Him so that we don't become discontent in this life. When people forget about the mercies of God, then they become discontented, you know. Why can't I have a nice car like He has? Why can't I have a nice wife like He has? Not contented. They can't see the good in what they have. This is why Prophet said, Don't look at those above you. Don't look at those above you. Look at those below you. Because it is better for you to help you remember Allah's mercy on you. You'll be thankful. Because there's always somebody worse off than you are. So we thank Allah. And we pay homage to His Majesty. Rabbul Alameen. That's who Allah is. The Lord of all the worlds. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim whose mercy encompasses all yet most of his mercy is saved for the believers on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Maliki Yawm Al-Deen to whom everyone will have to come and answer on the day of judgment. We have to check ourselves in this life and be sure that when our time comes to die we will be able to stand 
before Allah in the Day of Judgment. Then Allah commands us to confirm our faith in His unity, Tawheed. You alone do we worship. He didn't say, we worship you. It could have been that way in Arabic. Na'buduka. We worship you. But he didn't do that. He put the you before. And had to say, you alone do we worship. Because when you say, we worship you, it could mean, we worship you and we worship so and so and we worship so. But what Allah wants us to confirm is that it is Allah alone whom we worship. It is Allah alone on whom we call. We only call on Allah in worship. And we only seek help from Allah in our times of calamity when no one around us can help us we call out on Allah alone and even when we seek help from those around us we do so believing in our hearts that help will come through that person by the will of Allah it will still be Allah helping us if Allah has willed this man to help me then I will be helped if Allah has not willed if Allah does not wish then he cannot help me that is what we hold in our hearts otherwise then we can fall into the weakness of believing that it is this person who can actually help us and of course when you have that kind of a faith in Allah's creation then when it disappoints you, your faith is shattered. Your faith is shattered. So we worship Allah alone. We call on Allah alone. We seek help ultimately in Allah alone. Then Allah tells us now to ask. Okay? After you thank Allah, you Pay homage to his greatness, recognize your responsibility, confirm his oneness in word and in deed, then you now can ask. And he said that the most important thing that you can ask for is what? Al Hidayah, guidance. This is the most important thing. It is the one thing that will carry us to paradise. Everything else we ask for is useless. We die and we can't take it with us. The only thing that we can take with us is guidance. If we have found the Sirat Al Mustaqim, then we have found the essence of what this life is about. So this is the most important thing that we should ask. 
And Allah goes on to explain to us what is this Sirat al Mustaqim? Sirat al Ladina and Amta alayhim. The path of those on whom is your blessing. And Allah elsewhere in the Quran describes this path as being the path of the prophets, the messengers, the righteous, the truthful. And he goes on to say that it is not the path of those on whom is his wrath. غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ Nor those who have gone astray. وَلَدَّالِينَ Now the Prophet Muhammad told us that الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ are the Christians, sorry, the Jews. And the Dalin are the Christians. So we want the path of the righteous, the truthful, the path of the prophets, and not the path of the Jews and the Christians. Why? Why is it specified? Not the path of the Jews and the Christians. What is it about the Jews that we have to beware of? The Jews had knowledge. They had the Torah. They still have the Torah. They've made changes in it, some. But the essence of it is there. They have the book. But they don't follow it. They don't follow it. Allah says, Do you call people to righteousness and forget yourselves? They have the knowledge. They talk about it and they don't do it. They hide the knowledge. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَتَمَ شَهَادَةٍ عِنْدَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ There is none worse on this earth than he who hides a witness which he has received from Allah. That knowledge has to be given not only in word but in action. It has to be lived. Because if you tell somebody to do something and you do something else, then you're telling that person that you really don't need to do that. Because if it is so good, it's so important, why aren't you doing it? If you have knowledge and you don't apply it, then you are cursed. You are cursed. Allah's wrath is on you. You become among the maghdubi alayhim. This is really serious. Can any of us say that we can stand having Allah's curse on us? Of course not. We seek refuge from the wrath of Allah. So it means that whatever knowledge we have, we have to apply it. When we look at the Muslim world today, and we wonder, why are Muslims in this state that they are? Why are they in such a terrible state? The world is using the Muslim nations as their doormat. They clean their shoes on it before they walk in the home. These are the Muslim nations, the doormat of the world. Why? When you go to the average Muslim, you ask him anywhere in the world, 
What are the five pillars of Islam? He says, five pillars of Islam. First is Shahadatin. Then Salah. Then Zakah. Saul. Ramadan. And Hajj. Tell you, from the littlest child to the oldest man. Five pillars of Islam he knows that. But, when you look into his life, you see he's not doing them. He's not praying five times a day. He prays maybe Ramadan, you know. Ramadan Muslim. Or he may pray on the Eid. Eid Muslim. But is this prayer accepted to Allah? By Allah? Prayer in Ramadan, you're not praying the rest of the year? Prophet Muhammad said, Al-Ahda al-Nadhi baynana wa baynahum al-Salah Faman tarakahu faqad kafar The distinction between us and the disbelievers is Salah. And whoever abandons it, فَمَنْ تَرَكَهَا Sorry, فَقَدْ كَفَرَ Whoever abandons the prayer becomes a kafir. This is an authentic statement of the Prophet Muhammad this is not the opinion of one scholar and you know which may be different from the opinion of another scholar. One who abandons prayer enters into kufr. Abandoning prayer means the time for prayer comes and you deliberately do not go and pray. You are able to pray and you deliberately do not go and pray. You're in the market, you're buying and you're selling. The time for prayer comes and business is good. And you say, well, I'll, I'll pray later. You deliberately abandon the prayer. You fall into kufr. Disbelief. So the five pillars of Islam, zakah. Are the Muslims paying zakah? If zakah were collected conscientiously among the Gulf states alone, we would have enough wealth for the Muslims the world over. But it's pointless to point the finger at the Gulf states. So why aren't these states, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, why aren't they collecting the zakat properly and sending it over here? It's pointless. Why? Because we have the Gulf states here. We have some sheikhs here. They may not be oil sheikhs. Maybe they're lumber sheikhs or they're, you know, whatever other sheikhs. But they're millionaires. Right here. Muslims. Millionaires. With huge amounts of money. They're not paying the zakah. So why point the finger there when we got them right here? You know, as we say, you got to clean up your own backyard before you go looking at other people's backyard. So, the zakah isn't being paid. Well, what do we expect? Is Allah going to bless us when the salah is not established? The zakah is not being paid? How can we expect a blessing? 
Nor should we be like the Christians. The Christians who have no knowledge. What they have, the Gospels? The Gospels is a jumble, mumbo-jumbo of, you know, people writing this, that, and the other. Very little, maybe a few sentences that actually came from Prophet Jesus, alayhi salam. Rest of it is nonsense. The writings of Paul, confusion, calling them to idolatry. This is what they have. No guidance. So what happens? They're astray. Ignorance leads to shirk, which leads to hell. If you are ignorant of who God is, then you are going to worship other than God. If you don't know who God is, then you are going to worship other than God. And that's what has happened to the Christians, the Buddhists, the Hindus, all these others. They don't know who God is. So they worship a statue, a person, a cow, anything. Ignorance. That's why Islam says that you have to seek knowledge. Ask those who know if you don't know. Seeking knowledge is compulsory for every Muslim. This is what we have to do. We cannot walk around in this life ignorant of what Allah has commanded us and feel that we were going to be saved because we have some piece of paper which says we are Muslims. We have a, a Muslim name. That means we have a ticket to paradise. Uh-uh. Don't think that a Muslim name is a ticket to paradise. Because the same names that you call Muslim names, you had Arabs who the Prophet said you're going to hell with those same names. Similar names. It's not names which carry you to paradise. It is choosing to be Muslims, choosing to be true Muslims, and doing what Allah has commanded. Doing what Allah has commanded, and avoiding whatever He has prohibited. It means we have to know what He commands. We have to know what he prohibited. It is our duty to find out what it is that Allah wants from us in this life. Allah created us for his worship. He didn't create the jinn or mankind except for the worship of himself. And the worship is doing what is pleasing to Allah. Whatever we do, believing that it is pleasing to Allah, this is worship of Allah. It will be acceptable to Allah if it is pleasing to Him. If it is not pleasing, 
then though we may call it worship it is not true worship of Allah only what is pleasing to Allah is acceptable to Allah and that is the essence of true worship and what is pleasing to Allah Allah told us in the Quran what is pleasing to him general principle to know a guideline for us to know any time, anywhere in our lives we have something we're doing you know, something we want to do something we're talking about doing we want to know is this pleasing to Allah? will this be pleasing to Allah? Allah says what? إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي He told the Prophet ﷺ to say so if you love Allah, if you want to do things which are pleasing to Allah because you do things that are pleasing to the one you love I mean the guy who you consider to be your enemy you don't do things pleasing to him unless he's got a gun at your head otherwise you do things pleasing to the one who you love so Allah tells the Prophet ﷺ to tell us in the Quran if you love Allah follow me follow the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and Allah will love you this is when Allah will love us when we follow the Prophet Muhammad and how do we follow the Prophet Muhammad we follow it follow the Prophet Muhammad the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad by knowing that sunnah by being sure that whatever we do was what the Prophet Muhammad taught us to do he said مَا تَرَكْتُ شَيْئًا يُقَرِّبُكُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ إِلَّا وَأَمَّرْتُكُمْ وَإِلَّا وَأَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ I have not left anything which will bring you closer to Allah except that I have told you to do it very important hadith that we need to make the foundation of our Islamic being مَا تَرَكْتُ شَيْئًا I have not left anything يُقَرِّبُكُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ which will bring you closer to Allah إِلَّا وَأَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ except that I have told you to do it so if you find anything which the Prophet Muhammad has not told you to do which you think is pleasing to Allah then don't do it do not do it because it's not pleasing to Allah what is pleasing to Allah is not what we feel what we think what he said you know what so and so said what our parents did what they do in Arabia you know, this is not what defines what is pleasing to Allah. What the Prophet Muhammad told us to do, this is what is pleasing to Allah. And we need to know that what we are doing is what He told us to do. That's why He said, "Man ahdafa fi amrina ma laysa minhu Whoever adds something new to Islam 
to our fear. That is not accepted. It is rejected. It is thrown back in our faces. And he also said that whoever starts an evil sunnah what is an evil sunnah? An evil sunnah is something connected to the religion which the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu did not tell us to do. You start this sunnah. You start this thing going. Whoever starts an evil sunnah he will receive the penalty, the burden of sin for everyone who follows that sunnah until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So we have to be very careful that we do something and it has not been approved of by the Prophet Muhammad because it doesn't end with us. Because everybody who follows us their sin will be piled on our backs on the day of judgment. It will be a big surprise. And who wants to be surprised by a mountain of sin on the day of judgment? So very important that we worship Allah based on knowledge of what is pleasing to Allah and not what we think or what we feel this is what the Christians do you know they will go from one sect to another sect based on what pleases them you know they go into one church and they hear a minister and he, he sings some songs and they say ah that's the spirit okay this sounds good that's why I'm here but after a while they get tired and they go to another oh I got the spirit here they're just going according to what pleases them what feels good no this is not Islam Islam is what the Prophet Muhammad commanded us to do and what he prohibited us from doing. Al-Yawma Akmaltu Deenam Wa Akmaltu Ilaykum Ni'amati Wa Raditu Lakumul Islam Deenam Today I have perfected for you your religion. The religion is complete. When a person brings something new in the religion, what is he saying? Allah is wrong. The religion wasn't complete. I had to come along 1400 years later and complete it. Something missing. So here it is. Either that or they're saying they know more than Prophet Muhammad He was given the job of conveying the religion, but he didn't complete the job. So here I am coming completing for Prophet Muhammad So, when we look at the Muslim world today, and we find in certain parts matches with graves in them. You go to India and Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Egypt, Sudan, Morocco, all across the Muslim world you go to 
many matches with graves in them. People coming to these graves, praying to the people in the graves, making tawaf around the graves, making sacrifice of animals at the graves. How? They are ignorant of the religion. Prophet Muhammad never did these things. Never commanded us to do these things. They have fallen into shirk. And this is why Allah said in the Quran, لا يؤمن أكثرهم بالله إلا وهم مشركون. Most of those who believe in Allah, who say that they believe in Allah, commit shirk. This is a verse in the Quran. Most people who believe in Allah say, I believe in Allah. Christians say, I believe in Allah. They call God. But they're committing shirk. Because they don't know who Allah is. They don't know what Allah wants from us. So they're following Satan. Thinking that they're following what God has commanded us. So I pray, brothers, that Allah help us to find that Sirat al-Mustaqeem. Help us to find the Sirat al-Mustaqeem. To find the knowledge of the deen. And to apply that knowledge in our lives. to gain His mercy and His blessings and paradise everlasting in the next life. I know express concerning what I said. Or any general questions you'd like to ask pertaining to the religion which I may be able to shed some light on.
to prevent the traffic, or what are they doing to, to, to prevent it from spreading further down the field? Is anything being done? Well, to be quite honest with you, I feel that there are efforts being made in different parts of the Muslim world to get Muslims away from these types of practices. Perhaps, you know, a greater portion of the Muslims find it very difficult to give up these practices because it is the practices of their foreparents. And so there you find that the struggle, you know, has begun between the younger generation which is now, you know, decided to question and seek knowledge and try to understand the religion, you know, as it was revealed, they start to question the practices of their parents and so on and so on. So you find sort of lines starting to be drawn between the younger generation and the older generation. And many of the scholars of the older generation, you know, they had been going along with the Scottish school for so long, you know, they didn't want to rock the boat, you know. You know why create problems for yourself, you know. So, alhamdulillah, more of the younger scholars who are, you know, gaining the knowledge of the religion, you know, and trying to spread that knowledge, you know, see more of the responsibility to try to change the situation. And, the, I mean, the problem is, is, is so monumental. We're not talking about something that you just turn around and say, go away and it's gone. We're talking about something that is so gross that people can point to the Prophet Muhammad's grave and say, but there is that structure over the grave. Now, Prophet Muhammad had told Ali to go and every single image that he found, image of a human being or an animal, he should deface it, break it. And every grave that he found, which is a hand span above the ground, he should level it with the ground. And he prohibited the building of structures over graves. But today, if you go in a Muslim graveyard, it looks like everybody else's graveyard. You know, tombstones and things built over the grave and all this stuff. So much so, when I was in Egypt, I visited the graveyards in Egypt, I'd heard about them. So I went to visit the graveyards in Egypt and Cairo. And the graveyards they drive in there, you think you're in a city. They're houses. I mean, literally houses. You can stand up inside of them, so much so that the poor people, there's a housing shortage in, in, in Cairo, the poor people have broken into these things and set up homes. They cook in and sleep in, they brought beds in. And of course the government can't even, you know, they have no, no option to tell people, okay, get out of here and go, no, they have nothing else to give. So what they've done, they've, they've blocked in water, they've piped in water. <laughs> people are living in the graves now. Some have built second stories of top of the the problem I'm going to tell them to level the graves of the ground. Do you have Yes. You just is Muslim? Eighty percent Muslim? It could happen, it might be a good idea, maybe you being a writer and author, maybe those who do the same business, writing, and possibly draw the line, as you said, between respect 
the moment you have acquired greatness in Islam. And you are shifting the grade, you know, that should be clearly identified in the language of Islam. So that those of us coming now, the new generation, can understand that they are not to be worshipped, not at all in keeping with the Quran and the Alhamdulillah, you know, I have one, I've written a book called The Fundamentals of Tawheed. And, uh, you know, I've given some copies to Brother Fawil, and inshallah he will try to facilitate the bringing in of more copies to make it available to the community. And it touches these issues. It speaks specifically on these issues. <coughs> you know, it explains the situation of Medina, how it came to be. Because it was not according to the wish of the Prophet. People did it. And it's an error which should be corrected. But I appreciate very much the way of this Fatiha. There are a lot of ways to this point of this I was going to say you knew for Islam, for the population of Islam. New in Islam, like let me say, new in Islam, there are no principles, right? We can't unknown anything other than the way we cycle of Islam, principles of Islam. So what is something new for the population of Islam? The method and the way of propagating Islam has been given to us by We may bring new means in the sense of the material world. You know, we're using the video now, we may use the audio cassette recorder which wasn't around. These are new things that we can use for the propagation of Islam. But now for you to introduce something new in the teachings of Islam, for the purpose of spreading Islam, you have now stepped on Islam. For the position of Islam. Anything new for the position of Islam. Anything new for that. No, anything new for the position of Islam. No, wait. Really. Anything new in the religion of Islam yes. for the propagation. Anything for the propagation of Islam. Yes. Just try to understand what I'm saying, brother. New in the religion of Islam for the propagation of Islam is prohibited. If it's new outside of the religion of Islam for the propagation of Islam, okay. No problem. If you want to, you know, develop something, the computer program, which will help you to understand the Quran better, Putting tafsir on, you know, disc, you know, and, or laser discs or whatever, so that people can now go with the computer and study the Quran more in depth, get the tafsir, compile the hadith or computer. This is something new. For, for the outside of Islam, for the propagation of Islam. I don't understand but, Huh? I don't understand it. You don't understand what? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But he, you know, for instance, when I was told to ask him in India, no problem, go to Hindus and they were illegal people. And they, were, they came here as the inventor leaders. Very few were educated. But those few who were smart, 
This is what it is. We have to have a, a bottom line. We have a determining factor in Islam. That's why Allah says in the Quran, whenever you dispute amongst yourself in these affairs, different things you come to, take it back to Allah and His Messenger. Take it back to the Quran and the Sunnah. So if it is agreeable to the Quran and the Sunnah, then it's all right. If it is not agreeable, then it's not all right. No matter what explanation you give to it. That's the bottom line of it. Well, the meeting is agreeable to the Quran and Sunnah. Pardon? When the meeting is agreeable to the Sunnah and the Quran, it's okay to... It's okay. It won't be anything. What is agreeable? And this... Once it's is agreeable to the Sunnah and the Quran. Yeah, it will be a part of Islam. But you see, if what we have to understand is that if we bring songs, as I said, songs is not prohibited. Prophet and the wedding of you know some of the Sahaba, he came by and there were you know some uh, singing girls with uh, Aisha. You know, and actually they were singing, Abu Bakr came and told him, stop this. That's what I was going to do. Yes, sir. like song. So singing is good. Okay, fine. Islam encourages on, on occasions of weddings and, you know, uh, different, the normal celebrations that Muslims have, you know, singing the prayer of the Prophet is fine. But now, when we start to sing praises, which make the Prophet Allah or give the Prophet Muhammad the characteristics of Allah then that is prohibited. Okay, but I'm not just making it clear. I, I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just saying, I just want to make it clear that the content of the song, the theme is okay, the content of the song can make it haram. So if you sing a song which says the Prophet Muhammad you know, you know, has certain characteristics which we know only belong to Allah, then that song becomes haram. It is prohibited, no longer acceptable. So this is the bottom line. Sure, whatever we do, if it conforms, if it is agreed to by the Quran and Sunnah, then it is okay. That's how we determine what we can do and what we can't do. It should agree to the Quran and Sunnah. And uh, first of all, you know, you and uh, this is what you mentioned. And um, of course, a lot of Muslims have been affected, not only by him, but still by Americans of America. Uh, a lot of Muslims have been affected from the book. My question tonight here, uh, will be based on your recent research in the Islamic land, Sadhusan and Sunday Union PhD in that subject. How can, what advice have you got to give the Muslims here? in Jalanam uh, with regards to the, the other creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because what the, the reality of the society we are living in here today that and the reason of one the Muslims have been cured by the Muslims being possessed by the Jews and this is very dangerous because not only they are insured, but it leads them to believe that the faith 
or the belief of that non-Muslim who cure them is correct or is the true belief. And looking at this from this point of view, we feel very dangerous. Hence, I would like if you can shed some light on what or what advice we've got with regards to the taking out of assisting someone who has been possessed by a jinn. Okay. In addition to this, but let me answer that. Okay. Uh, it is the duty of some among the Muslims to help those who need help. If a Muslim needs help, there should be some among the Muslims who come to the help of that Muslim. If they don't, then the role of the community is in sin. And only those who would like to, but were unable, would be excused. And those who had knowledge, or had the ability to, and did not, they carry the greater burden of the sin. So, based on this principle, we could say that there should be among Muslims some who would try to exercise those people who are possessed by the jinn. And the process of exorcism is not a very complicated process. It is very simple. If one needs, as I said, I, there's a book which I did called Ibn Taymiyyah's Essay on the Jinn, in which the process is described in there, as the Prophet Muhammad did it, as his companions did it. Very simple. Of course, you have people who are practicing very complex systems for exorcism, where they will be you know, bringing certain oils and rubbing it on palms and, you know, on body parts and, and then tying people's hair in a knot and squeezing their bodies and, you know, saying that they, explaining how the jinn has gone into the hair, cutting the knot, putting it in bottles and burying it and all this kind of thing. So when we go back to the way of the Prophet Muhammad's companions, we don't find them doing these things. Very simple. Recitation of Quran over the individual calling on the jinn to get out, reciting over, you know, water and having them drink it, occasionally hitting them on their backs, as the Prophet did, but nothing further than that. And it is something any Muslim can do who has some Quran to recite. But of course, it has to be one who is reciting the Qur'an. The way that the Qur'an should be recited. As I said, like Alhamdulillah, this, that kind of recitation, that's not going to do it. It has to be proper recitation with proper reflection, belief, commitment, fear of Allah. Such recitation will drive out the jinn. And if, you know, all of us we may feel very reluctant to do it, but after doing it one time, and seeing really how easy it is, then, you know, you will know for yourself that it really is not that complex. 
And we should not shy away from it. Unless we know we're not keeping up our five times daily, you know, we're only praying once or twice a day, and we're not really fasting properly in Ramadan, you know, we hardly have our Islam together. Of course, for a person like that to go and do it is foolish. One should definitely be, you know, a sincere practicing Muslim. Firm faith before attempting it. And these Christians, uh, Hindus, whatevers, who are exercising, when they exercise, of course, they are not actually forcing the jinn out. Because this person must, must answer the question, how is it then that these people are able to exercise? They don't have the faith that we have, or we're supposed to have. How it is that they're able to exercise? is that the jinn, remember, what is the purpose of the jinn, generally speaking, coming in contact with us and messing with us? Why? What is the purpose? It is to draw us into shirk. That's what it is essentially. The evil jinn, who are going to hell, want to drag as many along with them to hell with them. That's the main goal. So, if shirk is committed in their presence, they'll leave. Alhamdulillah. Fantastic. This is why Jimmy Swaggart, you know, in the beginning of his tape with the Ahmed Bida, you know, he said, listen, I'm convinced about Christianity, you know, it's Islam really. I've practically experienced the power of Christ. He said, we were in Africa, we came across this man who was possessed, and we called on Muhammad. He said, get out in the name of Muhammad. Nothing happened. He said, get out in the name of Jesus Christ. Very simple. So you will find people who will be involved in all kinds of shirk, etc., and they will be exercising. And they will have success. The jinn are pleased to leave, to confirm shirk in the presence of those people who are out. To shake the faith of those people who may be Muslims who came to Draw them also. So, the general recommendation is that there should be amongst the Muslims some who will take it upon themselves to try to help their fellow Muslims in their time of need, in their time of spiritual possession, sickness.
stepping out to your house. Almost everything you find different du'as there to protect the individual, to keep him conscious of God, you know, to uh, keep his faith firm and to keep him on the path of righteousness. So if we learn these things, you see, and what happens when you think about it, people will spend huge amounts of time to learn things which are really of no value to them. And the things which are of most importance, they will it. Even now the Prophet of Islam is left on the side and people get off into all kinds of other things. And this is why, part of why we are in the states we are in. Why possession is widespread amongst us, you know, as it is amongst the others involved with ship, etc. We are not making use of what Allah has provided for us by way of the Prophet Muhammad these are contained in the books of Hadith. Unfortunately, I haven't seen a book in English with transliteration, you know, identifying these kinds of duas. And hopefully in the next year, it will be a part of my thesis, will be in there, but perhaps during the next year I will try to publish a book which contains the basic duas from Quran and Sunnah for protection from Satan. You said we all have to change each one of us. Can you throw some light on that? The problem is said that when each one of us is born, a jinn is assigned to us. He refers to that jinn as the harim, which means like your partner. Companion. And he is there and he also described that he whispers evil suggestions to you. As you have an angel which is a partner with you who will give you good suggestions. This is just part of that struggle with good and evil in your life externally as well as internally in your thoughts. This is part of that, the, um, the test of this life. Uh, what advice can you give to those, is there a person here who practices uh, movement and they collect a fee for that? What advice would you have to such a person? Well, actually if you look inside the party, you will find that um, there were some of the Sahaba exercised some people and some things were given to them. And they didn't know whether they should keep it or not, so they came to Prophet and they informed him about it. And he okayed it. So if somebody's exercised and they choose to give something, there is no harm in receiving it. But to charge a fee, you know, like you have a doctor's office and you say, you know, for, for heavy big gins it costs you $200, and little gins we only charge you $100, you uh, economically this would be despicable. And especially non-monsters, you can charge you for that. Yeah, you don't put a fee. 
if they wish to give something, that is from them. But you are doing, this is like humanitarian work. People, a person is, you know, he falls down and breaks his leg and he reaches out and says, help me. Because he's not listening, I said, okay, give me two hundred dollars and I help you. But uh, suppose that the Buddha suppose that the Buddha was in the gate, and that person is in the field, and they have to do that to you, what do you do? This is wrong. This is wrong. I mean, you have to tell a person in the course of helping people to be, you know, free from the jinn, or from possession, evil forces, they have to be reminded that the, the essence of really protecting themselves and, and being free and, and remaining free is that one establishes their link with Allah. Because the jinn may leave on an instant, you know, like so almost like a, a trick in a sense, it leaves, and you think you, the person's cured and the jinn will be back on the person again. And the person has not mended his ways, changed his life, and the person, you know, and, you know not making salah and, you know, his life is in shambles. Well, Islamically speaking, towards the religion, he has to get his life together. So one of the things that we should advise when you're going to deal with a person, you should find out what is his lifestyle, what is wrong with him, what would have led this to this situation. Then you advise them that, no, you should just reestablish your five times daily prayer, you know, you should clean up your homes, keep yourself clean, you know. These the, the different advice that Islam has for, you know, uh, <coughs> leading a godly life. I wish to thank you for explanation, but there's something that I can't let you I was brought up that eating sin was something good. So when in your explanation says anyone starting an evil sin, could you from my share the following one to the other to explain what you mean by starting an evil sin? Okay. See I am quoting a statement of Prophet. Man sanna sunnatan hasana is one phrase and he said Man sanna sunnatan sayyia So that means that evil sunnah Sunnatan hasana a good sunnah Sunnatan sayyia an evil sunnah It's not me It's not me It's not me Now sunnah here and he has also said you know that uh, referring to his way as also a sunnah you know, in a number of other hadiths فَمَنْ رَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّتِي فَلَيْسَ مِنِّي Whoever is displeased with my sunnah, wants to go some other way than my sunnah, is not of me. He's not a true follower of mine. He used this term, sunnati, reference himself. So, the word sunnah literally means a way, a path. When it's attributed to the Prophet it's referring to his way in the religion. Right? When it's attributed, when it's in reference to others, we talk about Sunnatullah. This is in Quran. When said, You will not find in the Sunnah of Allah any change. So, just the fact that you use the word Sunnah doesn't automatically mean that when you look at it in the overall context of what has been commonly come to mean that. Right? But, in the Sunnah itself, in the Quran itself, we see many other references where the term Sunnah is meant used linguistically. You know, how we tend to use it is just, you know, in reference to Prophet Muhammad specifically. Right? 
That's the common usage, but this is what it meant. It meant once you had started away, this becomes your sunnah. I can talk about his sunnah. It has become your sunnah. You started an evil way. And that evil way will accumulate evil for yourself.